Amen. It is a joy being here with you. It's a joy being back. I want to let you know from the outset, I'm still the preacher here. Even though Stephen did such a great job last week, you still got to deal with me. That said, will you remain standing as we open up God's Word? Today we're going to continue in our series that we've titled, The Beginning of Wisdom. And what we're doing is we're looking at passages in the Proverbs that teach us about the fear of the Lord. Listen now to God's word, Proverbs chapter 15. We're going to look at three verses together, verses 15 through 17. Here's what God's word says. It says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Well, let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you have a seat, we're going to, uh, today we're going to look at these three verses together. They actually form uh, one kind of solid idea, and I'll show you how they form one solid idea in a little bit. But to set some things up for you today, I want to uh, kind of just play off the weather we're having. You know, in the Northwest, we get one month of summer, right? The end of July and early August, and usually it is a, it is a beautiful month. It is so nice outside, and it's so hot. In, in fact, uh, you know, you, you find out who the people that aren't from the Northwest are when, uh, when our one month of summer comes, because they're the people that are out there in the sun like, ah, versus everyone else who runs from the shade to the shade, right? Like, uh, let's just be honest for a minute. Who here is the person that loves to be out in the sun? I don't care about skin cancer, give it to me, right? A few of us in the room, right? And who else here is a true Northwesterner that's like, where's the shade? Right? Where's the shade? <clears throat> so last weekend we were at a softball tournament, and, uh, and it's funny, you know, everyone just is like fighting for the shade. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a bad view of the field. As long as you have shade, everyone is happy. And, uh, and you know, it's even more funny when you watch little kids, I think about my youngest. He's eight. He's about this tall. And, uh, and you go somewhere with a kid who's small, and if the sun is out and the sun is shining and it's bearing down on you and there's no shade in sight, the little kids, they have, they have an incredible advantage. You, you, see, you see them calculate in their eyes. They begin to look at where the sun is, and they begin to look at where dad is, and they find dad's shadow, and, and then they, you almost, they just go stand right, just enough that they're right in dad's shadow. You guys have seen that before, right? A little kid doing that. Some of you short folk, you're like, it's not just little kids, right? You're like, <laughs> and when, when Asher, when, when he does something like that, he's like, ah, oh, that's better. It's amazing how a little bit of shade can make your life better. And you think about a little kid looking for a little bit of shade, and you and I looking for a little bit of shade in the hot weather, and I think that encapsulates how most of us approach life, because I, I know something about you. You are looking for your life to be better. Now, I want to caution you. We've said it a few times in this series. As we look at the Proverbs and the difference between them being promises and general principles, these, can be, these categories can be collapsed, and you can end up seeing what we would call a prosperity gospel. That, that's not what we're talking about here. Listen, I'm not saying here's how you have a better life, and God wants you to be happy and wealthy and all that. that that's not what we're teaching. But the Proverbs do teach principles that are as clear as day about how you can very clearly experience a better life. That's what we're going to look at today. Today we are going to look at how 
a, a fear of the Lord that is operational in your life, it will actually lead you. You can walk in here with your life being one way. And I actually, this is one of those messages. I think you can leave here with an opportunity for your life to be better. Now, this does not mean the better life is without difficulty. In fact, the better life is a better life despite difficulty. But, but I believe if you understand these texts in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done, your life can be better today. It's kind of a big promise to make, right? I, I don't make a promise like that very often. Here's how we're going to get there, though. I want you to see our big idea today, these three passages, is going to be the internal fear of the Lord. Our, our, our series is all about the fear of the Lord. In internal fear of the Lord, it overshadows any external difficulty. Really, what I'm teaching is that life is better when you fear the Lord. Now, for those who have not been here the last few weeks, I want to just briefly remind us of our working definition of a fear of the Lord. And then we're just going to dive in one proverb after another. We're going to handle all three of them in sequence together today. And so when we're talking about a fear of the Lord, remember, we're not talking about us walking around terrified that God is going to smite us because he's a mighty smiter. We're not talking about walking around with our knees quivering because we're worried if we do one thing wrong, God's going to bring his thumb down and just squish us. That's not what fear of the Lord is in the scripture. Fear of the Lord has to do with a reverence or an honor or a worship or an awe of God. What we've been saying is that fear of the Lord, here it is, it is godly living based upon who God is and who you are before him. And that's what fear of the Lord is. You don't say, I fear the Lord, and then you live however you want. No, fear of the Lord, it's living a specific kind of life, a life that's described as honoring God in God's word. So it's godly living based upon who God is and who you are. Now, I put my hands like this on purpose. Because we started out just saying, we got to remember who God is and who we are. God is the infinite creator ever holy and always to be glorified. God is, we just saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is who God is. And then we have to remember who we are before him. Remember who we are? We're, for God's majesty, we're, we're miserable. In God's infiniteness, we're finite. In God's holiness, we are, let's be honest, we're wicked. We're selfish sinners who have sinned over and over again. And yet, this majestic God whose name is above every name, he has loved us so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to pay the price for not some, not most, not 99%, but for all of our sin. Jesus' death paid the price for all of it. And through his resurrection and through trusting in his death and in his resurrection, you and I, we are given a brand new life. How do we live that new life? With the fear of the Lord. With an honor, with a respect, with an awe. That's why we say fear of the Lord. It is godly living based upon who God is and who we are. Now our text today, 
These three Proverbs, one after another, they form one thought, but, but the central verse talks about the fear of the Lord. Let me show it to you. Verse 16, it says, Better is a little with, here it is, the fear of the Lord, than great treasure and trouble with it. Now we have the fear of the Lord, that, that godly living based upon who God is and who we are. But, but I want you to let your eyes land on the very first word of that proverb. Because I mentioned these three proverbs, they're tied together. And that word better is what ties those words together. In the original language, this word better is the word tov. Tov is a very common word. It's actually most often translated good. It can be translated good or pleasant or cheerful. And when it's used as a contrast, it can be translated as better. This one word is used three times in these three verses, although it's translated differently based upon the literary context. And so let me show you, let me, let me read all three of these verses together and let me show you where this word is and how it ties all three of these verses together. Verse 15, it says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful or the good or the pleasant of heart has a continual feast. Verse 16, better or good Good is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Verse 17, better or good is a dinner of herbs where there is love or where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A cheerful heart, a, a, a better life, better relationships. These are all talking about a life that is better. Do you, do you want a better life? I, I know you do. All I have to do is go look at your Amazon search history. Because you know what that's going to show? That's going to show that next purchase you're looking to make. It's going to make your life a little bit better. Some of you guys, you're thinking, man, my car is getting a little old. I can't wait to get that next car because it will make my life so much better. Some of you think the same way about your house, and some of you, if we're honest, because I've been doing pastoring long enough, you're thinking the same way about your spouse. But we're always looking for something better, aren't we? But, but your Amazon shopping list or shipwrecking your marriage is not going to make your life better. You want to know what's going to make your life better? According to the Proverbs, a genuine fear of the Lord. So let's begin to explore this together. Let's walk through each of these Proverbs together. My burden today is that you leave here with a clear vision of how your life can be better, not based on earthly standards, but based upon God's holy and true word. Let's jump into verse 15. Here's the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see that a godly attitude is better than a good day. You know, everyone wants to have a good day. I hope you have a good day, right? Everyone wants a good day, but, but not all of our days are good. But regardless of whether our days are good, what we're going to find right here is that a godly attitude is better than any good day. Let me show you verse 15. It says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful or the good or the pleasant of heart has a continual feast. And this proverb, each of these proverbs, they are comparison. It's like looking at a coin. You have side, one side of the coin and the other side of the coin. The good side of this coin is talking about the cheerful heart. 
This is talking about a heart. It says that it has a continual feast. Now, this is not giving you a promise that says that you are going to have steak dinner every night if you have a good attitude. That's not the point here. Rather, what it's saying is that if you have a cheerful or a good heart, if your fear of the Lord, your internal fear of the Lord is right, then everything is like a feast. Even if all you have is SpaghettiOs for dinner. (laughs) You're going to look at everything in your heart. If it's right, it makes everything better. That's the picture of this. In fact, if you contrast it, You have the cheerful of heart, and then you have the afflicted. The verse says, all the days of the afflicted are evil. This is not someone who's like afflicted with a disease. This is not someone who's afflicted with cancer. They're saying, oh, life's not fair. I have this this disease. No, this is talking about, just like the cheerful heart is talking about an attitude, the afflicted is talking about an attitude. Afflicted here is the person who is woeful or sorrowful. This is talking about the person who is miserable. This is talking about the person that nothing can please them. This text shows us that you can always find something to complain about. I mean, let me, let's just, uh, can you be honest with me for a minute? Okay, I want to show hands. Who here in the last few weeks has complained about how hot it is? Raise your hand. Okay, keep keep it up. Keep it up. No, keep it up. Okay, we had an incredibly wet and rainy spring. Keep your hand up if if you've complained about the heat. Raise your other hand if you complained about the rain at all this spring. Right? I mean, look at you guys. If it's hot, you complain. And if it's cool, you complain. Why? Because we can always find something to complain about, can't we? I've got a, a person that I know that I've, once I open the door for them, and they say, I can do that. And a number of months later, I, op- I, I did not open the door for them, and they looked at me frustrated when they opened it for themselves. Do you, do you have people like that in your life? This makes me think of Winnie the Pooh and the character Eeyore. I recognize this is low-hanging fruit, but I mean, just, just think about this. Eeyore complains about Everything. If Eeyore won the lottery, we'd say, well, I guess i got to pay taxes on it, right? The kind of attitude where you can always find something to complain about. But you know, you know, the flip side of that is true. Just like you can always find something to complain about, you can always find something to be thankful for. Those are two very different attitudes, aren't they? I have a friend named Lloyd. He lives in Texas. Lloyd's a bit shorter than me, and Lloyd, I do not lie, if you ask Lloyd how he's doing, he leans forward, he gets on his tippy toes, his hands start moving, and he grows to about eight feet tall, and his response always is, excellent. And, And Lloyd is genuine about that response. Lloyd's one of those guys who, he, he just is so overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus in his life, the love of Jesus in his life, that it doesn't matter what is going on in Lloyd's life, Lloyd is always excellent. This last week I saw on Facebook, his wife posted that Lloyd had surgery. He was in the hospital for a number of days this week. I sent him a text, really not even expecting him to respond. The dude's in hospital having surgeries, right? I said, man, just want you to know I'm praying for you. Uh, Love you, brother. And you know what? I got a 
text message back that was just line after line of gratitude to God. Didn't surprise me one bit. Are you a Lloyd? Are you an Eeyore? How do you approach life? Are you someone who always finds something to complain about? Or are you someone who always finds something to be grateful for? Now, I want you to see, if you, if you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, those who are here who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus' death to pay the price for their sins, I want you to understand something. You can always adjust your perspective with the gospel. You can always adjust your perspective with the gospel. Here's what it looks like in my life. I know you never have those days when you're grumpy or where you're irritable or you're frustrated about certain relationships. I know it's probably just me. But on those days for me, when I'm grumpy and I'm irritable and I'm frustrated about something or some person, right? On those days, God oftentimes gently, sometimes not so gently, he humbles me by reminding me of what has been done for me. I deserve nothing but God's wrath because of my sin. I have rebelled against him countless times in sinful ways, sometimes in obvious, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in my actions, sometimes in my words, sometimes just in my thoughts. And all of that equals me deserving nothing but his wrath and his condemnation. And yet, because of nothing good that I have done, because of nothing good that I have earned, God has poured his grace and mercy and love out upon me when he sent Jesus to die and pay the price for all of my sins. He has given me an eternity in heaven. He has given me his spirit living in me right now, and he's given me a purpose for every single one of my days, none of which I deserve. How can I complain about anything? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians is writing about all the difficulties he's experienced. I mean, this guy was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was kicked out of, of cities. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with super apostles who are basically false apostles, and they're using Jesus' name to teach a false gospel, and Paul is battling them with everything in him, and sometimes it feels like he's not winning the battle. And yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. He says, we are perplexed. God, why, why is ministry not working? I've got the one true gospel. These guys got a false gospel. Everyone's listening to them, and it feels like no one's listening to me. This is so perplexing yet, but not driven to despair. Why? Because he had Christ. Because he had the hope of the gospel. Because he had the foundation that is Jesus' death and resurrection. So no matter the good day or no matter the bad day, his attitude was exactly where it needed to be because his attitude was aimed at trusting Christ. I want you to see that a godly attitude is better than any good day. No, each of these Proverbs today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question at the end of each of them. And, and, and this is a question that I want you to consider. We'll, we'll consider them again at the end. But we've just seen that, 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 that godly attitude is better than any good day. So here's your question. Do you have an attitude of griping or of gratitude? What's your default? What would your husband or wife say? 
What would your parents say? What would your children say? Do you have an attitude that is constantly complaining, or do you have an attitude that is constantly giving thanks? Let's keep going. We see that a godly attitude is better than a good day, but verse 16 shows us that godly living is better than grand living. Godly living, living based on the fear of the Lord, it is better than having all the wealth that you can imagine. It is better than having all the luxuries that this world will offer. Let me show you. Verse 16 says, better or good, there's that word, tov, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Now, the two sides of this coin. The first side shows us that, that contentment, here's what this verse is talking about. Contentment is found easily with godly character. It says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord, or good is a little with the fear of the Lord. Here's what that's talking about. It says that if you have godly character, not perfect, but if you are living in light of who God is and who you are, if you are striving after godliness, stumbling your way toward holiness. Look, we're not saying that you need to be perfect. We're saying that your attitude, your mind, your focus, it is on living for the Lord, even if you stumble. It says, it is better for you to have very little material wealth. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that if you have a godly character, contentment is found so easily. How does this work? Well, just like the way when we preach the gospel to ourselves and it changes our attitude, the same, the same dynamic is taking place. When you say, man, I might not have all of these things that other people have, but when you look at what you do have, when you remember that you have eternity waiting for you, when you, when you remember the joy of your salvation, when you look around at the fellowship of the saints, brothers and sisters that are given to you in the church that love you, not for what they can get out of you, but, but because they love you. When you begin to recognize everything you have, then all of the, the shiny things begin to, to become less and less valuable. It's like, it's like going on a scavenger hunt. And the end result of the scavenger hunt is perfect contentment. If you have Christ, if you have a godly or a fear of the Lord based upon your relationship with Christ, you know what you actually have? You have a map that shows you step by step exactly how to get to that treasure. And you get to just walk the path that leads straight to contentment. And then you look around at the world and all of those who nothing is ever good enough for them. And you look at them frantically running around from one place to another, from one purchase to the next, from one vacation to the next, from one experience to the next. They're always looking for something that's going to bring them contentment. And it's like water slipping through their fingers. They're only able to hold it for just a brief moment. Contentment is easily found with godly character. But, but the flip side of that, contentment is not guaranteed with grand living. You ever met someone wealthy who's just not happy with anything? You ever seen someone just buy thing after thing after thing and it never really satisfies what they're looking for? That's what this verse is saying. It says, great treasure and trouble with it. It's saying that you can have all the treasures of the world, but without that contentment that comes from a fear of the Lord, all you find is more trouble. 
more difficulty. Reminds me of a, a song from a, the movie The Greatest Showman. It's a, it's a pretty fun movie. It's one of maybe two musicals I've seen in my life, just confessing there, right? Um, but, but it's a, a really fun movie, and there's a, a song in it where the, the, the lady singing, she's actually singing, and, and the way the story goes, she's actually revealing her character. The song is about how nothing is ever enough. Here's, I'm, I'm going to sing the song for you, ready? Actually, I'm just going to read it. I'm, I'm going to read it for you, right? All the shines of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky. She says, towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough. This is the false promise of wealth in our world. This is the false promise of grand living. You can chase everything that you want. You can chase all the wealth that you can dream of, and you're going to find that it's never, it's never going to be enough. Because you are created with a soul that is only satisfied in the maker of your soul. You were created with the need of a Savior, and it's only satisfied in Christ. And so here's your question. As you walk through this life day in and day out, are you more concerned about your circumstance, what you have, what you're going to experience? Are you more concerned about your circumstance or your character? What is your aim Is your aim at saying, I am going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. I am going to please the Lord who has saved me. I want to live in a way that reflects his glory and his honor because of how much he has done for me. I want to live a life of gratitude. Are you aiming for godly character? I just want to pause here for a minute longer. Because we live in a world that it downplays godly character day in and day out. It's dismissive about godly character. Everything's relative today, and so it doesn't really matter what kind of character you have. Everyone's a good person, and so no one's a good person. Godly living, living a life based upon the fear of the Lord, When you walk right with God, not because of your obedience, but because of Christ's sacrifice, listen, there is such contentment. There there is such peace to be had. My my desire today is for you to have a better life. My my desire today is, is not to guilt you. My desire today is to aim you at contentment. And I want you to see that there is a path before you in Christ for that very thing. So, So here's what we've seen so far. We've seen that a godly attitude is better than any good day. We've seen that godly living is better than grand living. But let's look at verse 17. And we're going to see finally that godly relationships are better than great meals. Verse 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. What is this talking about? Herbs and fattened oxes? It's not, we don't use that kind of language today. Let's, let's just understand what this is talking about. A dinner of herbs is leafy greens for dinner, right? 
Listen, this is not the sage telling you that you'll have a better life if you eat salad for dinner. That might be true. It's probably not, but it might be true, right? He is not promoting vegetarianism, right? Here's what he's saying. You might have a meal and the only thing on the table is, is leafy greens, but the people that surround that table, if they all have a love that reflects the love of God, that's a feast, but then he talks about a fattened ox. What, what are we talking about a fattened ox? Like, what, what, what is this? Well, a fattened ox is a, it's a moment of celebration. It's, it's where's the meat, right? Right there. That's the meat, right? This is talking about having a giant feast with the best, most delicious meat that you can sink your teeth into. Anyone's mouth salivating just a little bit, right? Wagyu burgers or something like that. You know what I mean, right? This is talking about the, the prime rib here. Because you, you sit down at that meal, and if everyone around that table is disunited, if everyone has, has hatred toward each other, if everyone's full of bitterness or anger or frustration, that's a terrible meal. And think about the, the best meal you've ever had. Most of us, our mind goes to something like a Christmas feast or a Thanksgiving feast. I've, I've had some great Christmas and Thanksgiving feasts. God bless the feast, Right? When my wife, when she used to, before we moved here, she worked for a law firm and they would do like Christmas parties and they would go to the, the most amazing restaurants they could find. I mean, these are places I can't, I can't afford a glass of water. You know what I mean? These kind of restaurants that are so amazing and, and the law firm would pay for it all. So I'd be like, can I have two of those steaks and three of those sides? You know, like you know, I'll eat to my, my heart's delight. And it was fun, but, but those meals didn't hold a candle to the moments where as a family we sit together in harmony and unity. Those meals don't hold a candle to when we as a church, when we break bread and share the cup of communion and we look around and we see that each of us, we love each other with the love of Christ and we are covered in his blood. That's what this is talking about. See, see the, the two-sided coin here. The, the first side teaches that love improves a plain meal. You could have leafy greens and love, and it's a feast. <laughs> love improves a plain meal. This makes me think about my kids when they used to go over to Grammy's house when they were much younger, and they would help cook, like, cookies or whatever meal they were making. And, and, you know, Grammy would have them around the mixing bowl, and they'd all be wearing their little aprons, and, you know, it's just a cute little adorable thing to do with kids. But they would put all the ingredients in, and in the very end, Grammy, she would say, oh, we got one more ingredient we got to put in. We got to put love in. And so the kids, they would hold their hands close to their chest, and then they would pour their love into the mixing bowl, right? And it's like, those are the best tasting cookies you could ever have, right? doesn't matter if there's too much salt. Those were delicious. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. It doesn't matter what's on the table. What matters is who's around the table. That's beautiful. But the other side of the coin teaches that hate ruins a great meal. You, you ever been at a family meal where everyone's walking on eggshells because someone's always upset? You, you ever been at a, a meal where there is, there is undealt with animosity and so it's, it's just a meal full of resentment and bitterness and seething anger? It doesn't matter what's on the table. You know what you're doing? You're looking for the door. You're wondering how long do we have to stay here before we can make our exit? Doesn't matter if it's prime rib. Well, 
what matters is around the table. That's what it's speaking. This is what it's speaking to. Let, let, me, let me work this metaphor a little bit more. I want you to imagine every meal you have is a potluck. doesn't matter if there's one person cooking everything. I want you to imagine that every meal you have is a potluck, and every person brings something to that meal. But it's not someone bringing a main course, and someone bringing a side, and someone bringing a dessert. It's everyone brings an attitude to that table. What do you bring to that table? Dads, I want to speak to you for a minute. Men in the room. Your attitude at, at the meal table impacts everyone at that table. I see it in my own life. If I've, if I've had a frustrating day or if I'm coming to the table and I've got something unresolved in my heart or in my head and I'm a little kind of snarky or whatnot, I just see it like water running downhill, trickle down to each of my kids and my wife, and sooner or later we're all kind of a little bit edgy. Dads, men, you set the tone for the meal. If I, if I come to the table and if I, if I have crucified whatever selfishness is inside of me and I come just deciding I am going to show joy and take pleasure in my family, I, I see the same exact impact on everyone around the table and it's not long before everyone is smiling and everyone is joking and everyone's having a great time. Ladies, you, you're not off the hook. You just do it differently. Generally, guys, we're pretty vocal. If we, you know, we're just going to lay it out there. Uh, oftentimes, gals, you can be a little more subtle. But if everyone knows mom's a little upset, then everyone dims it down or tones it down, and everyone's a little bit more reluctant to engage. Listen, you have the same impact. And teenagers, te teenagers, I want anyone in this room under 20, I want you to just look at me for a minute. You bring something to every meal. It impacts your parents, and it impacts your siblings. So, so let me ask you, here's your question. Are, are, are you, when it comes to the dinner table, are you a downer, or are you a delight to dine with? What do you bring to the potluck? Are, are you, listen very carefully, walking in the fear of the Lord that impacts the relationships you have in a positive way? Or are you walking based on whatever selfish desire exists in your heart and so it impacts your relationship? I use the dinner table, but really this is every relationship that it impacts those relationships in a negative way. See, this is what we're talking about today. Today, I am trying to point to the scriptures, the scriptures that desperately want you, listen very carefully, they desperately want you to have a better life. That's what this is teaching. It's teaching that the internal fear of the Lord, it overshadows any external difficulty. Anything you're going through externally, it can be positively impacted if you walk in the fear of the Lord. These three simple proverbs, these do not require an a advanced degree in theology to understand. These are things that all of us just see as plain as day, right on the top of the text. And so, so I want to ask you these three questions again. And I want you to be a bit more introspective. I, I want you to prayerfully think, Lord, how do I answer these questions? Here's the first question. Do you have an attitude of griping or of gratitude? What's your default attitude? Are you, are you complaining all the time or are you grateful? 
Second question, are you more concerned about your circumstance or your character? Are you more concerned about what you can get your hands on or what you can experience rather than being more concerned with living a godly life in Christ? And third, are you a downer or a delight to dine with? What are you bringing to the meal? What are you contributing to the potluck? Now, now here's the reality. I imagine as we think about these questions, every one of us, we see some deficiency in our own lives. Right, I won't make you raise your hand, but, but I imagine every one of us, we see some deficiency in our lives in one, two, or maybe all three of these areas. But, but, but this deficiency, you know what it is? It's like the sun beating down on you. It's kind of getting hot under the collar, right? You're like, oh, I got, oh, man, that's me. Dang, what's going on? Why do I, why do, I do that? Why do I say that? Why do I act that way? But, but here's what I want you to feel more than the sun beating down on you today. What I want you to see is that Jesus is standing right there, and he casts this long shadow, and he is inviting you to come stand in it. He, he, he is inviting you to come stand in the forgiveness of all of your sins, all of the times when you've griped, all of the times you've been more concerned with circumstance than, rather, than your character, all the times you have been an absolute downer to dine with and you have poisoned relationships. Jesus is saying, in my death and resurrection, all of that is completely forgiven and washed away. Metaphorically speaking, he's come and saying, stand in my shade. And you know what happens when you come and stand in his shade? You know what happens when you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for you and you find his care covering you? <sighs> it's better. It's so much better. So here's what I want to leave you with today. Today, I want to leave you with these three questions and with the overarching question of, will you come stand in Christ? Will you trust not in your ability to be better, to try harder, or to do good, but will you trust that Jesus paid it all and that because of Jesus, you can now walk in this newness of life. You can now walk in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to ask these three questions prayerfully. I'm going to give you some time after each one to go before the Lord humbly. And then afterward, I'm going to pray for us all together. Here's your first question. Do you have an attitude of griping or of gratitude? Are you more concerned about your circumstance or your character? Are you a downer or a delight to dine with? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment. We come to you humbly. 
recognizing that it's only by your grace that we're accepted. And Father, we come to you in this moment full of repentance, recognizing that it's very easy for us to have the wrong attitude and to be complaining. It's very easy for us to have the wrong focus and to to be aiming ourselves at the things of this world instead of developing godly character in Christ. Father, we confess it's really, it's so easy for, for the wrong attitude to impact our relationships in a negative way. Where instead of being those who build each other up, we, we oftentimes are those who tear each other down. But Lord, we come and we come repentant knowing that, that Jesus' sacrifice has paid the price for all of our wicked deeds. That Jesus' sacrifice has, has cleansed us through and through. And Jesus' sacrifice has given us a new life. We are new creations. And while the, the old life tries to hang around and, and keep us off the right path, Lord, we recognize that, that today we get to reset and we get to walk in the newness of life. We get to walk in, in the fear of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a deep desire to honor you. And I pray that that desire would be, it would be strictly out of gratitude, overwhelmed by what you've done for us, the great gift of Christ. And Lord, I pray that today as we are renewed, Father, you would give us such peace. You'd give us a sense of hope. I pray for times this week where maybe we find ourselves acting with the wrong attitude or the wrong focus or in the wrong way with others. And Lord, I pray that even in that moment, your spirit would remind us of your grace and set us on the right path once again. And we pray all of this would bring you glory and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.